Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. I invite your attention into the Word of the Lord to the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. Gospel of Luke chapter 18, and I want to begin reading there with verse 26. It's good to see all of you in the house of the Lord. Let's go to Luke 18 and uh, verse 26. And they heard, they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? Now, just to kind of catch you up to what the Lord is speaking or has been speaking to them about. He's been talking to them about uh, things that go beyond just the commands that was given in the Old Testament, but having a real relationship with God. And then there is one that comes to him and said, I fulfilled all of those commandments. He said, I've done it ever since I was just a child. And he said, you sell what you've got and you come and follow me. And uh, the man walked away sorrowful, the Bible says, because he had great riches. And this is when the Lord begins to explain what entering the kingdom of God is all about. And when he did, there were those that said, or those that heard him, who made the statement, who then can be saved? And he said, these things which are impossible with men are possible with God. I'm going to tell you, no man can save himself is what the Lord was saying there. No amount of good deeds can save you. No amount of acts that you would do or things that you would try to achieve or accomplish in yourself can save you. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake who shall not receive manifold more in this present time. In other words, there's going to be blessings in this life for following the Lord. And how many can attest to that, that there is blessings in this life not to mention, and in the world to come, life everlasting. I want to direct you back to Simon Peter's statement in verse 28. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all. And I'd just like to lift that statement. Lo, we have left all. Forgive this windstorm. Go ahead, brother. That's announcements. Those are through. If it was part of the sermon, I'd want it back. Amen. But uh, I believe we can make it now. We have left all. Lo, we have left all. Let's lift up our hands and our voices to the Lord and let's pray for the Lord to help us, to speak to us, to work in our lives, to minister to our needs here tonight through His Word. We thank you. 
God, I ask you, Lord, to have your way. Work as only you can. Minister your will in this house. Let your word find lodging place in all of our hearts. We thank you. We sincerely praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And would you give thanks to the Lord by clapping your hands to him right now. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. An individual who is serious about pursuing a business proposition or opportunity will first sit down and put together a business plan. And there are several things that make up a real business plan. Uh, there's the SWOT analysis and, and various other aspects. But a part of a good business plan is a marketing strategy. A marketing strategy relies upon, among other things, a slogan or a symbol, a logo that will attract uh, potential customers. So that when that symbol is seen or when someone hears the slogan, they will think to themselves, that is exactly what I've been searching for. That's exactly what I need and that's what I want to be a part of. And the right slogan can not only bring about uh, potential customers to the company or the business corporation, but it can create a desire and a residual need for the product. Some fascinating slogans probably uh, that you uh, remember throughout the years probably come to mind. Slogans like, it, it melts in your mouth and not in your hands. Anybody remember that one? Uh, also, you're in good hands with Allstate. It keeps going and going and going. What, what company is that? Energizer. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But God doesn't follow suggestions from marketing strategists. His slogan is found in the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter and the 23rd verse. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In other words, true Christianity isn't consumer driven at all. The symbol of true Christianity isn't a dove, it isn't a fish emblem on the back of your car, but true Christianity, its symbol is a cross. And I know that that has been uh, somewhat romanticized in, in this day and in our Western world, but everybody in that culture, in that time, when Jesus spoke these words, understood what the cross implied. They understood what the cross meant because in that culture, cross, a cross was death and it was the most brutal and gruesome death, death by being crucified on a cross. And he is telling them to carry, of course this is a different cross 
This is a cross that is emblematic of a life that is going to be lived and a dedication and commitment that is going to be made unto the Lord. And he tells them, I don't want you to just carry it on Sunday, but I want you to carry it daily. In other words, I don't want you to just be a passive fan. Isn't it amazing how fickle fans can be? Has anybody ever noticed that besides me? I mean, when I lived in California, and I'm certainly not somebody that keeps up with all of this, so uh, they may be, their stock may be down now. But when I lived in California, Golden State Warriors, well, nobody even hardly heard of them, even people that lived in the state. They certainly were not winners. Um, people had heard of the L.A. Lakers and other teams, but nobody had heard much of the Golden State Warriors because, uh, again, they were, they were not known for winning. They didn't have a reputation for being very good. But it seems everywhere you look nowadays, uh, people's Golden State Warrior fans, and uh, I think they call it bandwagon fans or something like that, and uh, it seems like whoever wins the World Series or whoever wins the Super Bowl and whoever wins the national championship and whatever area of sports that it is, uh, the very next day, that memorabilia, that uh, those products, the team logo, you see it everywhere on everybody's hats. They're wearing the jerseys, they're wearing the shirts, and all of those kinds of things because fans tend to be fickle. But he's not asking for fans here. He's asking for true followers of Jesus Christ. He said, I want you to be a follower. I want you to be a daily follower. I don't want you just to live for me uh, just when things are going good. I don't want you to be a follower of me just when the miracles are happening or just when things are up or just when you're seeing your prayers answered or your needs met. But I want you to be a daily follower. I want you to be a consistent follower of me. A man once came to his pastor and was very concerned about his daughter that was interested in a boy that was a professed atheist. And he said, Pastor, I, I want you to go talk to him. I want you to, to go set up a time where you can speak to him about his uh, issue with, with becoming a Christian, be, living for the Lord, and even his belief in God, and see what you can can do to help him and convince him that there is in fact a God. And so uh, he called the young man, the pastor did, and set up an appointment and had lunch with him. And over their time together, a relationship was built. And after a few meetings, not only did this man change his mind, but in fact he repented and got his heart right with God and was baptized and became uh, a man of God, living for God, serving the Lord, and dedicated the church. Well, eventually, he and the young lady married. And several months after they were married, the pastor, uh, just checking on the progress of things, asked the young man that had married the girl how things were going. And he said, well, it's going, it's going pretty well. Our relationship was great. 
And I, I could see God doing a lot of things in our lives, and, and it feels like the Lord's blessing, and, and uh, I want to be used of the Lord, and I want to walk with Him. But he said, i got one little issue. i got one little problem. He said, what is that? And he was shocked when he said to him that it's actually my father-in-law. And he said, really? He said, yeah. He said, uh, my father-in-law, uh, when I bought into the concept of tithing, and became a faithful tither of the church because I saw it in the Word of God and got a revelation of it. He said, my father-in-law told me that maybe I need to throttle back on my faith a little bit and use that money to save for a house. And the pastor could hardly believe what the young man was telling him because he knew how desperate the father had been to see this young man saved in the first place. And now he was essentially telling him, I, I know that you, you picked up the cross and began to follow the Lord, but could you put it down for a little while? And isn't that exactly how the world tries in its own way to serve the Lord many times? That's a lot of folks' concept of God is that when it's convenient, I'm a Christian. When it's convenient, I'll be apostolic. When it's convenient, I'll serve the Lord. When it's Sunday, then I'll toe the line. I'll be dedicated. I'll, I'll live for God like I'm supposed to. I'll, I'll adhere to the teachings of the Word of the Lord. But when I'm with my friends out there or when I'm somewhere else, well, don't expect as much dedication from me. When Jesus called His disciples, He, he called them uh, to give their life wholeheartedly to Him. And they didn't know where that calling was going to lead them. And if you study church history... And I know that many of this were not, many of these were not certain of, uh, of what their demise was, and the traditions and oral histories just been passed down, so we just go by what we're told. But church tradition says that Matthew was killed by the sword in Ethiopia. Mark died in Egypt after being dragged by horses through the streets of Alexandria. Luke was hung in Greece. Thomas was stabbed with a sword or a spear rather in India. Jude, the brother of Jesus, was killed with arrows for not denying the Lord. James, as you know from the scripture, was beheaded in Jerusalem by Herod. And Simon Peter was crucified upside down. And Jesus doesn't necessarily ask us to physically die for him. But he unequivocally and unapologetically asks for us to deny ourselves, our will, our sinful desires, our fleshly nature. He even goes as far to say in the book of Romans that we need to mortify the deeds of the flesh and take on the spiritual appetites and attributes and characteristics of God. And the only way that we can do that, according to Paul's writings in the book of Romans, is to have the Holy Ghost. Anybody that attempts 
to live for God, serve the Lord, and be victorious without the Holy Ghost, without the Spirit of God, is setting themselves up to be a miserable failure. The Holy Ghost is not just a good idea. It's not just a spare tire. It's not just an added blessing. But according to my Bible, it's an essentiality to salvation. Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for this promise is unto you and to your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. But the Apostle Paul takes it even further and he said that the one that has not the Spirit of Christ is none of his. Speaking of the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God that was preached about on the day of Pentecost. So the Holy Ghost is an essentiality for us to please God, to live for God, and to live victorious in this life. And again, I can't believe that anybody would want to debate that or argue of why it is not necessary to receive the Holy Ghost. Your attitude should rather be it's a blessing and I want and I desire and I get to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's an opportunity. It's a promise. The Bible says that it's a gift and it's for everybody. As many as the Lord God calls and He's still convicting, He's still drawing by His Spirit and He's still filling souls with the Holy Ghost. And even recently we've seen Him fill folks with the Holy Ghost around here. And I'm thankful for that, aren't you? Praise God. Why don't we clap our hands to the Lord again? But in Matthew chapter number 4, Jesus is calling his disciples. And the Bible said as he's walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee that he saw Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their nets and... The scripture says, while in the midst of their fishing excursion, that he looks at them and he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the Bible says, this word that is, I like this word, I like the way that it describes what these men did. It says, straightway, they begin to follow him. In other words, there was no vacillating. There was no talking it over. But they were immediately, two men, these two brethren, were immediately in agreement that this was what they needed to do. They needed to follow the Lord. That tells me that both of them was feeling the same thing. They were feeling the power of this call to come and follow Jesus. And the magnetism of it was so great that both of them, without debate, without argument, without doing anything else, without putting anything before it, they said, we're going to do it right now. Straightway they began to follow him. And he went a little further and he saw two more. He saw James and John who were brothers, sons of the son uh, sons of a man by the name of Zebedee. They were called the sons of thunder. And they were mending their nets. And he says to them, come follow me. 
And the scripture uses another word but closely akin to the same term straightway. It says immediately, immediately, they left their ship and their father. Now I want you to understand what's being implied here. They left the ship which was their livelihood. It was their job. It was their career. It was the way that they made their living. It was how they provided for themselves. This took total trust. This took complete faith. This, this took uh, total surrender, if you will, to the will of the Lord. Uh, this was stepping out and doing something that was not necessarily easy for them to do. They had to leave their living because they knew that they couldn't follow the Lord and continue to do what they were doing in every day, uh, fishing on that ship and making their living in that way was going to not allow them to follow the Lord. And so they said, we're going to put you first and we're going to leave this behind. And then it says, and their father they left behind. And so really what's being implied here is that anything or anyone that would hinder you from living for God, you need to leave them behind and make up your mind to follow the Lord and serve the Lord with all of your heart because the Scripture clearly tells us that no man can serve two masters. He'll love one and hate the other. Or he'll love this one over here and hate this one over there. But you cannot serve two masters. You've got to make up your mind. You've got to diligently decide and completely surrender your will to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Matthew chapter number 9 tells us about the calling of Matthew to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. It says that he was sitting at the seat of custom. Now this was a fairly prestigious place for him as an individual. It was not a very popular thing among the Jews. Among his fellow citizens and countrymen, it was not something that they thought was a very good job because they almost seen this as as being an ally to the Roman government, and they knew that it was a beneficial thing to him, and they felt him to be a traitor because he was preferring money and wealth over them, and uh, preferring them above, or in his own needs, he was preferring above them and their needs, and and so therefore he was at odds with his own people. And Jesus, seeing him set in that place, spoke to him and said, follow me. This, just two words. And the scripture says, and he arose and followed him. Now I tend to be a literalist when it comes to the scripture. I realize that that's probably not applicable in every case, especially when you're speaking about certain books in the Old Testament that there is type and shadow and I understand all of that. I I have studied the word of the Lord and 
I have sent underneath teaching to, to understand that concept. But, you know, I just happen to believe the word of the Lord at its word when it comes to the New Testament. And so somebody said, well, we don't know everything that went on between the lines here. Uh, whatever, everything, this is all that was recorded and this is all that we have, so we have to assume there were some other things that happened or took place here. But I think that we need to take this literally, that he immediately arose and began to follow him. And as I was studying about Matthew, and I knew this, but it's one of those things that was kind of out of sight, out of mind. But another term or name that is used in Matthew's or the description of Matthew, another name for him was Levi. And I thought that to be interesting. And in the Jewish mindset and the way that they train their children, and many of the Orthodox Jews still do this to this day, as that child is still very young, many times while it's still a baby, they will introduce that child as being what they desire that child to become. They will call its name, and when the naming of the child takes place, it's not just like we name children. Today, there's no real significance attached to it. We just like the sound of the name, but that's not the way it was in Jesus' day and among the Hebrew people. That name meant something. And there was significance tied to it. It wasn't just naming him after somebody. There was significance tied to that name. And, and they believed that there was power in a name. And, and you understand that from studying about Jacob. And you understand uh, from studying other uh, names in the scripture that there is significance tied to the name. And so Matthew was also called Levi. It's very possible that in his ancestry there was a priest and maybe perhaps his grandfather was in the priesthood. And maybe that was the wish and the desire that his family had for him that he would become a man of God. But you understand that in this particular time, even in the day of Jesus, to become a rabbi, to become a man that would be the leader of a synagogue, uh, to be a part of that or fulfill that role. Uh, it was a very, very elite group of people that was allowed to do that. And there were certain criteria that had to be made, met for them to be able to do that. To become a rabbi, first of all, you couldn't just wake up one morning and decide that I'm going to go through the necessary training. But it started while you were very young. And I read, one author said that, that to become a rabbi by the age of 12, a man or a young boy would have to memorize the first five books of the Bible in much of the writings of the prophets. That's quite an accomplishment by the age of 12. That means there's not going to be a lot of baseball, not going to be a lot of climbing trees, probably not going to be a lot of fishing on Saturdays. There's going to be a lot of study that's going to be taking place. 
but he's going to have to know the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible. And it is said that, of course, rabbis had reputations, but rabbis didn't send out an invitation for students. But you, because of the reputation of the rabbi that you wanted to study under, you would make application to them of what you desired uh, to do, that you wanted to study under them, and then there was a process. And so it was much like maybe the Ivy League schools are today in our, in our world, in our nation. You, you had to have a certain GPA. You had to have a certain score on your ACT and SAT. And, and uh, then that wasn't even enough. That was just to get your foot in the door. Then you had to go through an application process, and there was an interview. And I read where when the rabbi would interview, he would, he would try to, to test the knowledge of the young man that was seeking to be a student of his. And so he'd ask him questions. And, and this, this writer that I was reading after used the illustration that perhaps he would say, well, how many times is the Lord's name mentioned in a certain division of Leviticus? And he would have to, from the top of his head, and his memory be able to recount how many times uh, that the name of the Lord was mentioned in that particular area, division of the Scripture. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to tell you that there was a very strict code, a very strict criteria that had to be met. And so evidently, we can assume here that Matthew or Levi, he, he didn't make the grade. Maybe he flunked out of rabbinical school. And so instead of continuing to serve God, he began to serve himself and his own purposes. And you know, that's a lot of times what happens to people when they stop serving God, with all of their heart, they begin to serve their own purposes, their own appetites, and their own desires. And it became what would be among the Jews. I mean, this is a, this is a great fall from the desire of wanting to become a rabbi all the way down to becoming a publican, a tax collector. And you say, well, you know, I, we, we often hear people referring that to the IRS. Well, it, it, it's even worse than that. It's like an IRS agent belonging to a terrorist sale. And, and, and it's just worse than just being an IRS agent. And I believe, and God forgive me if there's anybody that's ever been an IRS agent, I, I believe that uh, there's a lot of good ones out there and it's a necessary job. So I'm not trying to cast any bad light on that. I'm just telling you, I've heard preachers and people refer that to being an IRS agent. Well, it wasn't exactly that because I'm certain that there's a whole lot of IRS agents that are liked and that are good people. But these people were not perceived as being good people by anybody in their community. Everybody despised them. And can you imagine when the Lord speaks to him and says, follow me. And he knows who this is that is speaking to him. And he feels that in his heart. It was the resurrection 
of a dream that he had once had. It was the resurrection and the desire that perhaps I can become what I really intended in life to become. And it was like a second chance was being given to Matthew again. And isn't that so indicative of how the gospel and the call of God is in the lives of people, people that have given up even on themselves when the Lord begins to speak to them and move upon their heart. It's like suddenly they realize life's not over. Amen. I don't just have to relegate myself to this. I can be something for God. I can do the will of the Lord. I don't have to be a failure forever. I don't have to continue down this path that is a dead end. I can live for God and serve the Lord. There is hope for me. I want to preach to a Matthew here tonight. There is hope for you. Amen. Don't give up. If he calls your name and he asks you to live for him and serve him and follow him, there's hope for you. Amen. Praise God. And can I tell you that everybody has that opportunity here tonight. Everyone has that opportunity. He arose and followed him. And so, as we look into this text that I read to you from tonight in Luke 18, this is a little further down the trail now. When they first began to follow the Lord, I mean, it was like miracle after miracle. It was like healing and deliverance and such power. They'd walk into villages and see blind eyes opened and deaf ears unstopped and lame people would walk. Not to mention when they went out into the wilderness with those 5,000 people that was following them and they were all fed with two fish and five loaves. And also the feeding of the 4,000 that took place. Multiple miracles. But now the teaching of the Lord is becoming a little bit more narrow. Now the teaching of the Lord is becoming a little bit more demanding of them. Now they're understanding things is becoming a little bit more specific and they feel themselves in the crosshairs of the Lord's commandments and His teaching. And they're beginning to understand that it's more than just loaves and fishes. And it's more than just miracles and it's more than just the excitement of what we can see and the power of God being on display before us on a daily basis. But it's about denying oneself. It's about taking up a cross. In other words, when you deny yourself and your will, you're, you're taking up the burden of serving the Lord. And it doesn't matter the stigma that goes with it, it doesn't matter how people may view it that are around you. You're so in love with Him that you desire to be led by Him and to follow Him wherever, wherever that takes you. And Simon Peter is realizing now 
hey, it's more than just going out and seeing a few crusades with miracles. and It's more than just a few Sunday services at the synagogue. But now he's making some real, making a real call for commitment in our lives. And he says, lo, we have left all to follow you. It's settling in what it's going to take to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. It's settling in that this is not just a weekend warrior type of thing. It's settling in what it's going to take to be a real follower of the Lord. And so we see this continuing to happen. And it was even Simon Peter that we read about in the book of John, chapter number 6. When Jesus begins to talk about the commitment that it's going to take. And he said, unless you drink of my blood and eat of my flesh, you shall not enter into the kingdom of God. And the Bible says in John, and isn't it, and I realize this is just a part of the King James translation, but it is kind of ironic, isn't it, that it's John 666. It says that many of them went away and followed him no more. In other words, that's too much. And really, they misunderstood what he was saying at that time. They didn't understand completely what he was trying to get across to them. But nevertheless, the Bible says that they turned and they walked away and they didn't follow him no more. And the crowd is dwindling down now. It's not 5,000. It's not the huge masses of people that there once was. Because the closer you get to the cross and the closer you get to real commitment, the crowd begins to dwindle away. And he says to his followers that remain, he said, will you also go away? In other words, I'm not changing my message just to keep you here. I'm going to tell you the truth. Do you want to follow me still? I'm giving you the option. I was in a class uh, Monday night. And uh, in that class, it came to a certain point, and it was, it was boring and, and it bold, italicized letters. And the man that was leading the class, he said, if you guys would like to go now would be a good time. And you know, I kicked myself the rest of the night that I didn't get up and walk out right then. That's what Jesus was saying. If this bores you, this is a good time for you to make your exit. This is a good time for you to check out. This would be a good time for you to walk away. If you don't want to dedicate, if you don't want to consecrate, if you don't want to give all, this would be a good time for you to say adios. Peter said, where can we go? This is a man that was all in by this point. This is a man that personified what it is to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. He said, where, where shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. There's no other place that we can go. We found it. 
We, we found the thing we're looking for. I'm going to tell you, once you've experienced Christ, once you've experienced the power of the Holy Ghost, once you've ever been to the cross and had the blood, amen, to cleanse you and wash you, once you've ever been to an apostolic altar and really repented of your sins and felt the freedom that is felt when you're delivered from them and you receive this wonderful promise of the Holy Ghost, amen, you will be just like Simon Peter. You will say, where else can we go? Amen, I can go from anything to this, but I can't go from this to anything else and be satisfied. Amen. I want to be a follower. I just, not this one, it's good. Amen. I've had to live that. You have too if you've lived for God any period of time. I've had to live through moments of waiting on God and tearing and being patient for God to answer my prayers. I've had to Live through periods of time that I wondered if God even knew where I lived, what my address was. But can I tell you that he's faithful? And then the Bible says this, that the end is the Lord's. And we always need to remember that. I've told you the story uh, a few other times about uh, Pastor I.H. Terry. Before he died, he had a little saying that he would use from time to time. And uh, when somebody was extolling someone's virtues and uh, maybe he wasn't real certain about them himself, he would say, well, the end is not yet. In other words, you know, it's not over yet. They could trip up and fall. Don't put too much confidence in man. And when someone was struggling and when they were not, it seemed like as blessed as they should be, but they were a good person and they were striving and they were doing their best and it just seemed like they couldn't get a leg up. He would say of that person, he would say, just remember, before you're too hard on that individual, the end is not yet. Well, can I tell you tonight that the end is not yet for you? Amen. We got to continue. We none of us have heard the words, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant." Enter into the joys of the Lord. None of us have reached the end of the race just yet, but we're all striving. We all desire that incorruptible crown. We all want to hear those immortal words. We all want to see Jesus. We all want to live with Him throughout all of eternity. And the only way that we can is to daily take up our cross and follow Him. Follow him. Amen. Not just follow him when it looks good. Not just follow him when we can see what the conclusion is going to be or how the outcome is going to be. But we follow him when we don't understand. We follow him when we're confused at times. We follow him even in the darkness. We follow him and trust his leading because he knows what's best for us. That's what it is really following the Lord. Amen. Would you lift your hands to him right now? Let's give praise to him right now. Thank you, Jesus. I feel the Holy Ghost here. Why don't you just stand to your feet with me right now? Let's... was a missionary many, many years ago that had given his life overseas to missionary work. 
His wife had passed on to her eternal reward. And finally, it came time for him to retire and come home. And his only living relative was living in the Midwest. It was a daughter that lived there with her husband and family. And so his choice was to go back and live in the same proximity as her for the rest of his days, be close to his family. So he was making his way by plane, and he flew into, I think it was Los Angeles. And then he boarded a bus, and the first stop that they came to was Las Vegas, and he had never been to Las Vegas. And he was an elderly man, and it was late at night, but he said it was just as bright as it would be at noonday because of all of the marquees and the lights. So he'd been kind of cooped up on the plane and then on the bus, and so he was going to get out and walk around a little bit, and he walked up and down the streets taking in all of this, and he saw the advertisements for the amazing food. He, he saw the games as he looked through the doors of the casinos and the open areas where people were playing slot machines, and he saw the money pouring out of them and the lights flashing. He actually found a place there where they were there was a car show that they were introducing the next year's automobiles. He went in and seen all of those vehicles, all those cars. And he was just taken aback by it all, shocked. He went around and he looked at it all. And finally, after some time, he began to walk back to his hotel. And when he walked into his hotel room, he didn't even turn on the light. Just walked over to the window that was in a high rise overlooking the city, the Vegas Strip. Pulled back the curtains and he looked down on all those flickering lights and knelt down on his knees. And after looking for a little while, he raised his view up to the heavens. And he said, Lord, I thank you tonight that I have not seen anything that I desire more than you. Lo, we have left all to follow you. Well, if we could write the rest of your story, Simon Peter, there was a lot of sacrifice. There was some things that I guess you had to give up. You know, it doesn't seem as hard to me to leave a, a life of being a, a, a fisherman. You know, I like leisurely fishing. I don't like that kind of fishing. To leave that lifestyle and pulling on those old nets and smelling like a fish. He said, well, you know, I like being out on the water. I do too, but I, don't, I like to be there by choice. It seemed like that wouldn't be a very hard thing to leave in comparison with Matthew having to give it up, the money and the prestige and the power that he had because of all of that. But they felt the same exact.
pull on their heart. And it was something that they had to do daily because while initially it was difficult for, I suppose, Matthew over maybe Simon Peter, I don't know. I'm just supposing. Every one of them had times that they could have turned back. And every one of them had moments when it would have seemed easier not to continue following the Lord. I'm certain that there were times when it would have been easier to denounce their call and turn back. And, and even we find evidence where some were tempted to do so. Even Peter said at one point when he was discouraged, I go a fishing. I'm just going back to what I was before. But he felt such a compelling call and the Lord sought him out and came to him at his low moment and said, come on back. I want you to follow me. I want you to complete this journey. I don't want you to stop now. I'm going to tell you, friend, you need to make up your mind and commit yourself that I am not deserving God out of it being a leisurely journey or just what I can benefit from it at the moment. But God, I'm following you because I want to see you. Because I love you. Because I'm committed to you. And I want to be obedient to you. You've done such great things for me. But if you've never done another thing for me, I still am dedicated. I'm still consecrated. I still want to serve you with all of my heart. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's come down to this front right now. Let's, let's gather around this, this altar for just a little bit here tonight. And let's, let's once again, let's once again lift up our voices to the Lord and make a proclamation, make a dedication to God. Is there someone here that can feel the draw, the calling of God upon your life that is saying, you've come a long ways, but but don't be tempted to, to stop progress now. Don't be tempted to quit walking with Him now. Don't, don't be tempted to forsake your calling and what, what the Lord has put in your heart to do. But continue, continue to be faithful to the Lord because if you'll follow Him, He'll lead you where you need to go. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I give praise to you, Lord. Come on, let's reach out to God right now. Let's give praise to the Lord right now. Let's magnify Jesus right now. Whatever I have to give up, whatever I have to lay aside, however I have to restructure my life, Whatever commitment that I have to make, whatever ambitions in the flesh that I have to give up, whatever aspiration and goals that I have to submit and lay at the foot of the cross, God, it's going to be worth it because eternity, eternity, God, and being with you is more important than anything else. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Why don't you reach out to somebody nearby and let's pray together and connect with someone. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. I praise your beautiful name. I give thanks to you. I worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God's going to speak to a Matthew and resurrect hope in your heart. 
Let you live your dream again. God is going to speak from the seashore to a Simon Peter that is feeling discouraged and say, Come on, don't quit now. Continue to follow me. Oh, come on now. Let's reach out to him right now. Let's talk to him right now. Let's pray to him right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God, I thank you, Lord. I give praise to you. I give honor to you. I worship you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, God, I thank you, Jesus. And I like that part. He said, there's not just going to be blessings in the world to come. He said, but if you leave these things to follow me, he said, I'm going to bless you in the present. I'm going to bless you right now. I'm going to help you and strengthen you, and I'm going to give you a life that you only dreamed about. Right now. Amen. There's benefits of living for God right now. Amen. We always talk about heaven, and I, I think we ought to talk about it more. That's my honest opinion. I think there ought to be a lot more songs, a lot more talk about heaven and preaching about heaven and thrill about going to heaven and excitement about it because, you know, that that seemed like during the Depression age and, and back around early days of Pentecost and when people didn't have it so good, that was their hope. They sang about it. They, that was in the hymns. That was in the singing. That was talked about daily, you know, that we have a better life. If I had hope only in this life, I'd be above, most, above all men most miserable. That was the mantra. That was what people lived by. Well, some people have it pretty good now, thankfully. But you know, that could all turn on a dime. I said that could all turn on the dime. We have people here tonight that can tell you that it just happens that quick. Brother Eddie was telling me that he said he barely had time to get out of his house and that campfire out there in California before that blaze come sweeping across there. And he didn't have time to go back in there and get any of his possessions in this world. But he's still got a smile on his face because he's not living for just the things of this world. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's the kind of attitude that we've got to get back in Pentecost is we're not living just for this life. Some people are just so wrapped up in this world and the things of this world. They can't even, they don't even have a time. They've crowded God out. They've crowded the things of the Lord out. And they have it so compartmentalized and such a tiny, tiny slice of their life is given to God. That's not the will of the Lord. That's not the will of the Lord. Amen. I know this life, especially when you're young, although most of our young folks are out of here tonight, but when you're young, you can think, man, you know, I've got so much life ahead of me. Again, James said it's but a vapor, a wisp of smoke. It's gone. You'll be looking around saying, what happened? Where, where have I? Where have I just wilded away at? 
Amen. You better invest your life in the things of God, incorruptible things of God. 